0: I got to tell you, I really had a hard time with what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I really had a hard time talking about it. And I'll explain when we get into it. um, Because there is a lot of depth in what we're going to talk about today. And I'm not even going to scratch the surface. But you know how sometimes there's things that you're reading in Scripture. If this is you, follow along with me. There are things that you read in Scripture. There are things that you gain understanding in. And you just don't have any words. You just don't have any words or box to put it in. And you're just going, I know that you're speaking to me about something and you're showing me something. I just don't know what to do with this. And and I feel like that's where I am right now with this this morning. So um, track with me. My my hope is that the, the incomplete, imperfect mess that I'm going to give you this morning, and I do think it's a mess because of my brain it feels like it's a mess, um, is going to hopefully get planted in your heart and there'll be something that will... Um, speak to your heart. But um, before we do that, I just want to open in a word of prayer. Um, worship is a beautiful way to prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the word of God. And I can't think of a better way for us to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning than to declare the holiness of God. So if you would just take a moment and just bow your heads with me, let's just pray this morning, and then we are going to get started. Um, God, we come before you this morning, and I love you, and I thank you for your uniqueness and your beauty and for your love. Um, Lord, this subject we're talking about today is something that we cannot understand. But we trust in you and we know that you can. And that you love us not because of our gifts and our abilities. You love us because you created us and that you have a plan for each one of us. And you desire for us to know you because you're patient. And you're loving. So God, as we open your word today and we read this story, may we have a great understanding of what we're talking about, of what you're talking about through your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Church in Motion. The book of Acts. Here we go. I cannot believe we are already done six weeks through the book of Acts. Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible, if I haven't told you this before. Um, I just I love this book. When I was in seminary, it was my favorite book to study. Well, I mean, next to Leviticus and Numbers, it was my favorite book to study. So that's a Christian joke that if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you haven't been in church long enough. Um, but anyway, in all seriousness, it, it really has been my favorite book, and you'll see more and more of why that's the case as we're walking through this. Um, you've heard me talk about this many times, and I'll say it again. The book of Luke um, that was written by Luke talks about what Jesus did. In one of the Gospels, the book of Acts was Luke's second volume. It's called Luke-Acts. And Acts talks about um, what Jesus is doing and has, has done and will continue to do through his church. So that's how the two go together. Uh, we have looked at character traits of the New Testament church that birthed over 2,000 years ago. Were birthed 2,000 years ago and how they still apply to us today. And we are in the second chunk of our series. The first two chapters was the, ch- the Church in Motion Unleashed Then we went to the church in motion unhindered, which is where we are right now, beginning in chapter 3. We have seen the church as a church that's on mission, right? We need to know our mission as a church and stay on mission, not get distracted. We talked about the church being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That if we're going to be an effective church and be who God's called us to be, we need to be empowered by the Spirit of God, not by ourselves. We've talked about devotion and what it means to be devoted to the four core things that the New Testament church was devoted to in order to see God move through us. Pastor Rob talked about the church that sees, doesn't just look around, but actually sees people where they are because that's exactly what Jesus did. He saw people where they were. One of the most beautiful expressions of that. And you see it all through the Gospels and one of the most beautiful expressions of that that I see through the church or through Jesus was when he saw Zacchaeus. I love that, that story of Zacchaeus where he was a tax collector and a sinner and no one wanted to pay attention to him and his own people thought he was a traitor and he looked at Zacchaeus and he didn't say, Zacchaeus, you sinner. He looked at him and he said, I'm going to go to your house for a meal today. And because he saw him as a man who was lonely and in need of relationship and a man who felt no value, the value that Jesus gave him in that moment turns Zacchaeus' heart towards repentance. That's what God does through you and through me when he challenges us as a church to see people the way that he sees them, right where they are, not what they need, not what they want, but what they need. Uh, last week I talked about the courageous church, if you were here, and how we're not supposed to really focus on courage, but if we want to receive courage, we focus on obedience, Because obedience is the pathway to courage. Don't try harder by being courageous. Be obedient and trust the results to God. Today, we are in Acts chapter 5. And we're looking at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. And today, we're talking about the church in motion. That The church in motion is a holy church. The church in motion is a holy church. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. And then we'll back up and talk a little bit about what we're seeing. So beginning in verse 1. Of Acts chapter five. It says, now a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself. He brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that You have lied to the Holy spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church, and all who heard About these events. I need a drink. Of water. There are some things in scripture that are really hard to understand. Some things in the Bible sound a little bit too harsh. Would you agree? Would you agree? What in the world is going on here? And in fact, some of you are probably sitting here going, I wish I didn't come to church today because blah, 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 blah. This is what happened in the first century church. What are we talking about here? There are some things all through Old Testament, New Testament, that when you look at it face value, you go, how is that fair? I thought that's, I, that's not the character of the God that I'm talking about or that I think that I know. How could this possibly be true? What is going on here? And what is the point? It is a message you see all through scripture. Maybe some of the things come to mind. Maybe you're thinking of other examples across scripture that you're saying, these things seem harsh as well. You can go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Remember my favorite book? And you can read in Leviticus 20, 20 verse 9, where when God was giving the law to the nation of Israel, he specifically says, hey, if there's any one of you who curses his father or his mother, he shall be put to death. He's cursed his father and his mother, and his blood guiltness is upon him. That's in Leviticus 20, verse 9. What is he saying? If you disobey your parents, you should be killed. Whoa. Right? Look, some of you are like, are you listening right now? Right? Some of you are looking at you right now. You're like, are you paying attention? You know? I mean, I might have, my dad might be watching right now going like, are you paying attention? And I was like, well, you know, it's true, actually. What is he talking about here? This is crazy, isn't it? Or in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7. When I read this one when I was a kid, and I never understood, I'm like, this is insane. There's a story in 2nd Samuel chapter 6, verse 7. And some of you know that Israel had what they called the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a box where three key things were placed in that represented, and it's where the presence of God actually dwelled. And when they had the tabernacle or the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was in the holy, holy place, the most holy place. And they would take this Ark with them. It had these angels on the top of it. And uh, some of you probably know this from watching Indiana Jones movies. I'm just going to say, honestly, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of that thing. looks a little bit like that. But they would take this in the battle with them, and the presence of God was in this Ark. But there were very specific instructions on how you should treat the Ark of the Covenant. And the ark was taken away from Israel for quite some time, and it was taken into a foreign land. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark is coming back into the land, and David, king of Israel, is presiding over what's happening. And the ark is on a cart, and as the cart is going over some rocks, it stumbles, and the ark begins to fall off the cart. And there was a man named Uzzah who reached out to stop the ark from falling, and as soon as he touched the ark, God killed him. Some of you know this story, and some of you are going, what in the world? That seems a bit extreme, right? And then we turn here to Acts chapter five. The church is birthed. People are being saved, right? We're into the fifth chapter. People are being saved because the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. The church is being filled with power on high. Jesus ascended already. The church is growing. They're speaking with boldness and obedience and courage, and thousands of people are getting saved. Believers are gathering. Remember last week, we talked about how believers are gathering in the temple courts, and in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, and they were meeting together, and they were giving things away that belonged to them so that other people could have. And we saw earlier in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas himself, sold a field that he had and took the proceeds of that money. And he gave it to the church so that all the believers had what they needed. It wasn't so they all had the same amount of income or wealth. It was that everyone who was in need was taken care of. And this is what we see. And it's a beautiful picture of God's church supporting and loving each other. And then in Acts chapter five, we turn a corner and Ananias and Sapphira show up. They also sell a piece of property, but instead of giving all of the proceeds to the church, They lie about it. And they sold it and they kept some of the money back for themselves and they gave the rest of it to the church. Now, on the surface, some people think the issue here is that Ananias kept some of the money for himself. And people will use passages like this to talk about why we need to give generously and why we need to tithe and why we need to whatever. They, they use these things and go, well, wait a minute, if I'm supposed to give, everything I have is supposed to go to God. And they, they twist what Scripture is actually talking about here. This passage is not intended for us to feel guilted into giving to God. There's something deeper here. It's not about money and it's not about generosity. This is all about holiness. This message that we're talking about today is about holiness because the church in motion, the New Testament church that was birthed through the power of the Holy Spirit was always intended to be a holy church. So today we're talking about holiness and that's why it's really difficult for me to talk about this one because I don't understand it. I don't. I mean, pastor Rob told me he was going hunting this week and I was like, bro, you need to teach on the 21st (laughs) because I don't want to do this one. So he goes away, and then he, you know, I guess he shuts off a projector on us so it doesn't work. So I'm not sure how that all works, but he was like, "I'll show you. I'm just kidding, Pastor Rob, I hope you catch your deer, or whatever you shoot. Yeah, whatever. Shoot, hit, Kill, whatever I'm being. This is a PG-rated service this morning. I just talked about all these difficult things. Go catch your deer and then mutilate him, or whatever you do. I don't care. OK? People are watching online going like, "I need to change the station right now. Yeah, see, y'all mocking me. It's all good. The church in motion is a holy church. Do you know holiness is the number one quality of God in all the scripture? People talk about God being love. God's a God of love. God's a God. Yes, he is. God's a God of grace. God's a God of forgiveness. God's a God of justice. Yes, those are all true. But the number one character trait you see in scripture that defines God is holiness. He is holy. In fact, Holiness occurs over 900 times in the Bible. It describes God, and it is the number one quality. Listen, it describes God more than any other character trait, and it is the number one quality he wants developed in all who follow him. I've heard people say many times when they follow Christ or they become part of a church, I just don't feel happy. What does God want me... My marriage is going to make me happy. The church is going to make me happy. Following Jesus is going to make me happy. God's not interested in our happiness. He's interested in our holiness. That doesn't mean that happiness can't be a byproduct of holiness, okay? He doesn't want miserable, holy people. But to say God is interested in our happiness over our holiness has it reversed. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. Now, what does holiness actually mean? Great question, super hard to define, but here's what I'm going to say it is. Fundamentally, holiness means, okay, it is a cutting off. It is a separation from what is unclean and a consecration to what is pure. Okay, I'm going to say it again just in case you didn't hear it the first time. Fundamentally, holiness is a cutting off or a separation from what is unclean and a consecration to what is pure. God is holy, okay? And we talk about God, the songs that we sing, we talk about his holiness. But it's not just about him being morally perfect, which he is morally perfect. He is, as I said earlier, utterly unique. God is unique. He is completely unique. He's the only one who can do what he can do. There is no one that can match what God can do. His intensity, okay, His intensity of holiness is evidenced in scripture in different places. When Moses stood before God, remember after he was in Israel, he was in Egypt for 40 years. Then he went into the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 year period in Midian, he visited, God visited him in the form of a burning bush, right? It was a bush that was on fire, but was never being consumed. And God's words to Moses were, take your shoes off or your sandals. Because the ground you're standing on is what? Holy ground. And there's an intensity saying you can only get so close to God's holiness before there are consequences. Because God's holiness is uniquely and eternally good, but it's also dangerous for imperfect people. That's why when they created the temple... In Israel, and they had the most holy place. There was only an individual, an individual that could go in there once a year. And there was a whole ritual he needed to go through, a cleansing process to consecrate himself so that when he walked in behind the curtain and he had his annual ritual, which was what the Jewish people currently celebrate is Yom Kippur today, that's the day of atonement, that that was the day that all the sins of Israel were forgiven. As the priest went into the most holy place and atoned for the sins of the nation. And if he wasn't prepared, if he wasn't properly prepared and the cleaning rituals were not properly followed according to the book of Leviticus, he would die. And that's why he had bells on his robe. And that's why he had a rope around his leg. Because if he died, they could pull him out from underneath the the curtain and no one would know any different. Like, we can't make this stuff up. This is true. Like, this is what they did. You know, let's, what happens if the dude died and there was no way to get him out? That's a whole year of a stinky room. You know, I'm not, we're laughing, but it's like, this is, they thought through this type of thing because God's book, Leviticus, is so detailed about the law and the procedures that you need to follow because God is holy. His presence is powerful, but his presence is also very dangerous if you're not in right standing with him and if you're not walking in a pure life. So he gives this command in Leviticus 19, verse 2, and it says this, Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. This is not just a call or a command that applied to the nation of Israel. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, Peter restates the same thing. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, he's talking to Christians now, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So the old Testament commands the followers of God to be holy and the new Testament responds and affirms the same call. That those who are followers of God, in this case with Peter, followers of Christ, which applies to us, the command and the call to walk in holiness applies to us today, just like it did for God's people in the Old Testament. And this is so significant because I want you to think about this just for a moment. People associate holiness many times with laws and rules. And when you talk about holy, you think about purity. And when you think about purity, you think about not sinning. And when you think about not sinning, you think about work. Be holy for I am holy. Oh, I feel guilty already. Be holy for I am holy. And, and what, what many times people can expect after that is finger pointing and clenched fists and ready to go for a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like people talk about this and they go, I'm getting ready to get set up for a beat down. We're going to get beat down this morning. Here's what I want you to think about. Because the why behind this, this is the part that I've just been sitting on this week going, what do I do with this? Why does God call us to be holy? Think about this just for a moment. He is so unique and set apart. Remember, holiness means being set apart. He is so set apart and he is so unique. Who does he speak this to in Leviticus 19? He speaks this to his people. And what he's saying to his people is you need to act and be like me because you belong to me. See where I'm going with this? This is so important. He's not looking at us saying, here's a law you need to follow so you can know me. He's saying, I'm going to show you something that you've never seen before. And what needs to happen as you figure this out is that you need to begin to change and to be set apart. Why? Because you're mine. Church, listen to me this morning, please. In the New Testament, it's no different. Jesus Christ came and gave of himself. Laid his life down on the cross so that we could be in relationship with God. And the command for the church today to be holy is not just do good things so that God's not upset with you. He's saying, You belong to me. Listen, he's saying, I belo- You belong to me. Make it personal. Think of your own name right now. Think of my name, Paul. He looks at me and goes, Paul, you are mine. I am uniquely different than anything else. God is saying, Paul, I am uniquely different than anything else this world and this creation could ever hope for or imagine. And I'm telling you, you need to be the same. Not to be a God, but to be there because you were created to be in relationship with me. You hear, this is so cool. He says it to the church because he's saying, don't you see how I made you to be? Be holy because it was always my intent for you to know me and for you to be in relationship with me. I'm not telling you this so you feel miserable. I'm showing you this so you can see your true identity. This is so important for us to understand. When we think about it as rules after rules after rules, we think about being set apart as just wait and wait. I need to do this and I need to do this. And God says, stop. Stop. I told my people, Israel, thousands of years ago to be holy because I'm holy. I was training them in a new way of living. And I want you to do the same. Not because I want you to show me how good you are in following the rules, but because I want you to know me. I've created you to know me. Guys, think about that just for a moment. The uniquely awesome, powerful God of the universe, right? This is who he is. He's telling you this morning, and he's telling me this morning, you have been created to know me. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to live your life wondering if there's a God. You don't have to worry and wonder through your life wondering if if there's a there really is something beyond this life, or if God's really listening to your prayer, or if you can. He's the most powerful ever. Ever. And yet he calls you a kid. He's your, you're his child. That's powerful. That's credible, incredible. So today we're going to look at why being holy or why being set apart is so important once to know God. But how do we do this? How do we become set apart? Because I can say this all day long to myself and I can say all week I've been thinking, be holy. I know I need to be holy. What does it look like for me to be holy? How do I do this, Lord? Because there's always has to be a how behind something, right? You can only hear the why for so long. At some point, you can be convinced to say, yes, I want to take a step, but show me how. There's three things that I think that we can see in Scripture. And there's always probably more, but every pastor finds three. But these are three very important things that I think are important for us to understand. I don't know why it's in three. Maybe just because there's a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And three is a really awesome number. I don't really know. But there are three things. I was going to use the stool as an example, but there's four legs on this, not three. There's three here. There's three on this stand here. You only have two. You fall over. You have the third one. It creates balance. So there's three things this morning I want to show you. What does it mean for us to be set apart? Being set apart means that we live in a world, but we don't live as the world. We're set apart, meaning we will live in the world, but we won't live as the world, okay? Okay. But there's three things I think we need to be set apart in for us to recognize and experience God's holiness. The first is this. Let's be set apart in your identity. Be set apart in your identity. What is this talking about? It's talking about your thoughts. It's talking about my thoughts. When God calls us to be set apart as the church and he calls you and I to be holy because he's holy. I think the first thing that he's reminding us to is to be set apart in our thoughts. Second Corinthians 5:17 reminds us, and we're not going to go there this morning, but he reminds us that anyone who's in Christ is what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That doesn't mean that God takes something broken and he just glues it back together. That's not what it means my house, we have this treat jar for our dog. Every time he goes outside, he comes back in and he sits there and he waits for his treat and says treats on it. So that's why he knows it's a treat jar because it says treats on it. <laughs> and if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. Take the lid off every day, take a treat out, give him the treat, put it back on. Well, one day I dropped it a couple weeks ago. I dropped the lid. It's made out of ceramic, cracked all over the place. I started looking for a new treat jar. I couldn't find a treat jar, treat jar again. I wanted the same jar just because I don't like change. And I wanted the same treat jar. It was cool. And I'm like, I want that. So I found all the pieces and I put them in a bag. And the other week I got my super glue gel out and I glued the whole thing back together. I'm in the process of restoring that. Let me tell you something. It's going to be just as functional as it was when it was new, but it'll never be like it was new. Am I saying God does not take broken things and glue them back together. He makes things brand new. He melts us down, and he reforms us into something beautiful. So our identity needs to be mindful of this. When we think about our identity and being set apart, recognize this morning, please, you and me, recognize. He's not taking something broken and just gluing it back together. He's making something new that was never there before on this side of eternity. You could say, well, okay, I kind of get that. What are you saying? I'm saying whatever you have experienced and grown up in your world, whatever struggles you've dealt with, whatever issues you've, you've, you've walked through, remember this. We hear this all the time with people. We have a problem as human nature as seeing people's past as their past. In human nature, we see people's past and we go, okay, they were this way and now they're this way, but they still kind of have that old way in them. Can I ever really trust them? They've been clean for 30 years, but how do I know? They're they're really still, in the back of their mind, they're still inadequate to come out. They're still a perverted, whatever waiting to come out, they're curbing their struggle for the last 20 years, but it doesn't, you know what? It's just going to take a moment and they're going to do exactly what they did before. Human nature is like this. We believe this many times that we can change our external behavior, but are they really changed internally? It's important for you and I to remember that when God calls us to be holy, he's telling us, don't change just how you look. Start by changing your thoughts when he said that in Leviticus 19 to Israel be holy for I was holy you know what he's saying this is so incredible this is so incredible like this I mean I get stuck on this he was telling a nation of people that were stuck in slavery for 400 years you are not slaves he was telling his people of over 400 years your parents said you were a slave their parents lived as slaves their parents lived as slaves and their parents lived as slaves and i'm telling you right now you are not a slave you have been freed, and before he ever gave them those ten commandments in Exodus twenty, he said, "I am the Lord your God, the one who rescued you out of the hands of e- out of Egypt, out of slavery." And he was telling them, "Be holy, because I am holy." Why? Because you are mine, and you belong to me. And he was changing something in their thought process to say, "You are no longer a slave. You are no longer you are no longer identified by that old way of life. But today, you are new." So I encourage you this morning. First John 3:1, John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. And that is what we are. Now, John was the disciple of love. You know, he was the guy that like Jesus like, rested on. He rested on Jesus' chest, you know, during the Last Supper. He was the guy that, you know, was the last one of all the disciples to live. He was the only one that didn't die a martyr's death. He knew the love of God. He understood the love of God. Jesus and him were like. I don't want to say thick as thieves because that kind of seems disrespectful, but you know what I'm saying? Like they were really close. And he's saying, see what great love the father has lavished on us. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. First John one, nine and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he says in three, one, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Let me tell you something. If you know that God is your legitimate heavenly father, there is a DNA connection there to go. If he is my dad, then there's a whole lot of stuff available to me simply because he is my dad. You hear what I'm saying? There is something powerful about that because he is my dad. You know, I, I don't know why I always go back to this when I was a kid, but, you know, there were Sunday afternoons that I would go down sometimes down to the, my dad was a corporate pilot. And there were sometimes when I was younger that he would have to go in on Sunday afternoons to work in the, uh, uh, in the hangar where he worked at. And these big corporate planes were sitting in the hangar and sometimes he would power up a plane and I'd go in and sit and look around. But there was this huge cabinet of Petridge Farm, Pepperidge Farm cookies in there. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? I only got access to the cookies because my dad had access to the building. He doesn't work for the company anymore, so it's okay. No, I mean, it wasn't anything. It was above board. All I'm saying is I knew when we went down there that there could be a good chance that I might get some cookies because my dad had access and he had the keys. Do you recognize this morning? that your heavenly father holds the keys to everything? Do you recognize this morning he holds the keys to life, to forgiveness, to overcoming all sinful things? Do you recognize what he's saying in being set apart is if you're going to realize true holiness, start with your thoughts. Remember who you're connected to this morning, church. Oh my goodness, when I take a step back and I think about the way I view my life sometimes and the way I view God, I realize that I'm not thinking like a free son. Sometimes I'm thinking like a slave. This will never change. This could never get any better. I'm never going to move through this. I never. And God looks at me and says, be set apart in your thoughts. Be set apart in your identity. Recognize that you have access to all the things that the kingdom can offer you. This isn't for your own purpose and your own self. Like this isn't for your own selfishness. He's just saying, know that the one who has created you, the one who's created you, has given you access to all the things that you need: the tools, the resources, the confirmation. To be who he's called you to be. That's important for us to understand. We walk around many times, we make a decision to trust in Jesus and to follow Jesus, but we still live as slaves. Are you being set apart in your identity this morning? Philippians 4 8, this is why Paul says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, look, think about such things. He's saying, be set apart because you have been created for a certain will. Your identity is connected to the father of the universe. You are his son and you are his daughter. You might be listening to that this morning going, I'm not really grasping it. Just let it sink in this week. Let it sink in that in heaven, after you've put your trust in Christ, there are adoption papers there with your name on it. And he is your dad. And everything that's available to you is because he is your dad. And that's powerful. The more that we understand that, the more that we recognize if he's really the one who's in control and he's the one that I have access to, then I should be able to walk through anything I need to walk through because of my identity Is not rooted in myself, but in him alone. So be set apart in your identity this morning. Holiness is what matters. The second thing we need to be set apart in this morning is not just our identity, but it's in our character. Be set apart in your identity, but also be set apart in your character. Because our behaviors and our actions reflect the character of God our behaviors and our actions reflect the character of God. I don't know why I thought about this this week um, in the way that I thought about it, but, you know, a couple of years, within the last few years, there's been like this, this news, um, I guess it's big news for some reason, but like, you know, Prince, Prince Harry and his wife like, have kind of like abdicated like the throne or, you know, like the royal family. You know, they've kind of, I'm not even using the right terms here, but they've, they've walked away from their royal throne-ish, position, right? You know, we're talking, about making silliness. This way. Basically they're saying is like, we, we, we don't really want to be here in UK anymore. And you know, we're royalty, but we're going to go live in the US. And like, that's a big deal for people. How could you say you're the bloodline of the royal family? Yeah, you're never going to be the king that's going to go to your brother, but that's not the point. You were born into royalty. You were born into royalty. Why are you living in a way that is not reinforcing your royal heritage? And people look at that and they scratch their head. and They don't understand why that's happening. Can I tell you, I don't think it's much different when we look at our own life. Because if we recognize our identity is that we're connected with God, then our behaviors and our actions should reflect the character of God. Some of you have had this experience maybe with your own children as you pour into them when they're younger and you teach and you instruct and they grow older and then they do things sometimes. And I've done this myself as well to my own parents, God bless their souls. And I've done this to them many times where they could look back easily and say, this is not the way we raised you to be. You know what I'm talking about? We didn't teach you to do that. We didn't instruct you to live this way. We didn't say that you need to be this way. We taught you that this is what values are. We taught you that this is how you should act. We taught you that this is how you should manage your money. We told you this, this, and now you're doing this. This is not the way we raised you to be. It's really quiet in here this morning. Is it possible that when God looks at us sometimes, he says, you're mine. Your identity is that you're my son and you're my daughter. Your behavior right now is not the way I raised you or created you to be. See how it works because you're called to be set apart. You're called to be who I've called you to be. You're a son and a daughter and people, these phrase of the most high God, but that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful title for us to take on. I am the son of God. And I don't mean like Jesus, son of God. I am a son of God. He has poured into me life that never, ever, ever expires. That's why it's my responsibility to say, when I know my identity, my behavior should match my thoughts. Think about that. Colossians 3.12, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, look what he says, clothe yourselves with compassion. With kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. You know what I love about that? Two things. One, it is a choice for us to choose. And two, you have to do it every day. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves, he says with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Why does he say that? Because all of these things are fruits. All of these things are how God has created us to be because he created us a specific way. We're supposed to let our behavior match our thoughts. So when he says be set apart, don't just be set apart in how we think. Be set apart in how we live. But here's why this is so important. When you are set apart in the way that you think, it influences the way that you live, right? If you you believe you're worth nothing in your mind, if I believe I'm a screw up and I'll never get any better and I'm just a waste of space, if I believe those things about myself in my mind, it will influence the way that I live. But if I believe that I have eternal value, that God didn't wait for me to become valuable before he loved me and my identity is rooted in knowing Him and that He wants me to be in close relationship with Him, I'm not going to ask the question, how close to sin can I get before I sin? I'm going to say, I don't want to even get near there because I'm yours. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in God. I am, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I can have relationship with you. I don't want to go anywhere else. When we understand that, it affects the way that we live. I mean, we kind of understand this for those of us that have crossed over from single life to married life. That what's supposed to happen during that time is the two of you come together, right? And the Bible says the two become one. And a father, I'm sorry, a son leaves and cleaves. You know what that means? I love you, mom and dad, but you know what? Even if I was a mama's boy, I'm not a mama's boy anymore, okay? He's stepping on some toes this morning. Um, I love you. And we'll hang out and be in relationship with you. But right now I have a responsibility to my wife. Amen. And the two become one. And that bond and that relationship is supposed to be inseparable. And when you recognize, I've done this many times over the years. I haven't done it in a while with my wife. But I remember like we would drive somewhere sometimes and I'd look at her. And she'd be like, why are you looking at me creepy and weird? And, <laughs> <laughs> and this is why, okay? I told you it's PG, just chill. I was like, you chose, you chose to spend the rest of your life with me. You ever thought about that? Think about that. Like, if you're married today, don't look at your spouse right now because it gets weird. Okay? But, <laughs> but think about this. They chose to spend the rest of their lives with you. So either you put on a really good face Or there was something going on there that the two of you really agreed to. You know what I'm talking about? They made a decision to go, you will be the person that I will put a ring on and say, we are going to do this together for the rest of our lives. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? Think about that. And when we have that understanding, how ridiculous would it feel? After we have that, not in the beginning. I mean, the first, you know, weeks, months, year. I love you. I love you. It's great. That was great. Right? We're doing this five years into it. Six years later. What would it be like if six years into our relationship, I came home from work one day. And my wife's like, Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm like, Hey, she goes, who's that girl? Uh, you know what? I've been hanging out with her and I thought it'd be cool if we just kind of let her live here for a while. <laughs> Look at all of you. You're like, not a good idea. Why would you do that? Well, you know, I mean, you know, is that a problem? Does anyone here think that's a problem? Show of hands, anybody? If you don't have your hand up, you're either sleeping or you need counseling. (laughs) Being honest, that's not going to go over well for your spouse, okay? It's not going to go over well. I'm telling you honestly, it will not go over well. And that's a real life example. And you're saying, why? Because. There is a commitment that was made between you and your spouse together that's supposed to be inseparable. And if you choose to violate that, if you choose to violate that, you're going to create a wedge in the relationship that you have with them. You with me? See how this works? So important to understand why this is so important. Be set apart. Your behavior, my behavior. I wish I could say I was good at this all my life. I'm not. My behavior should say to my wife all the time, you are the most valuable. You are the most important. You are, you are, you are, you are. That's what it should be saying. You can say, and if it's your husband, say the same thing. That's what should be. Your behavior shouldn't say that, you know, you have to lay down like a mat and basically let them tell you what to do. No, it's my life is to make sure that your life is as productive as it can be. God's put us together so that I can help you become everything that you've been created to be. That's what God is calling. And if our behavior differs from that, what does it say about being set apart? It says we're not set apart. So be set apart in our identity. Be set apart in our character. Are we set apart in our behaviors today? I'm not asking you to respond. I'm asking you to think about it. Because marriage is the closest example that God gives us of relationship that we can have with him. In this planet, in this world, marriage is the closest example of that. Are we set apart in our thoughts and our behavior today with God? What do we consider idols in our own lives? Have we positioned things in our lives that are more important than God? Where it's as if you're in a marital relationship with the Heavenly Father, which I know, guys, it sounds a little weird, but just roll with me on this and you walk back into your house and God's there and he's like I'm with you I'm so glad that we're together and you bring in something into the house that was never intended to be there and God says what are you doing your behavior is not to be set apart is to be set apart but you're not being set apart and it's going to jeopardize the relationship between me and you God does not want our relationship to be jeopardized he wants our relationship to be whole so let's be set apart not just in our identity but in also our behavior. The last thing I want to mention today, and the worship team is going to come as we get ready to close, is to be set apart in the power of Christ. This is so important. I'll explain. Yes, we need to be set apart in our identity, and we need to be set apart in our character. But we must be set apart in the power of Christ, and I will explain. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. If we miss this third point this morning, you're going to walk out of here thinking I need to be set apart and I need to change my thoughts and I need to change my behavior and I need to, and I need to, and I need to, and I need to. And if you miss the third part, that's what you're going to walk away thinking. But the beauty of the gospel goes all the way back to the nation of Israel because when he laid out those laws in Leviticus, he tells them in Leviticus, be holy. He tells them to love each other and he gives all these laws. And what the people of the Old Testament in Israel began to do was to do everything in their power and their strength to follow these laws because by following the laws, they believed to put them in right standing with God and that's what we see in scripture. The obedience to the laws Was there a way that they showed God that they were people of faith? But something quickly happened in the Old Testament. And you can see it all through the the scriptures. They couldn't keep the laws. They couldn't keep the requirement and the standard on their own. I can't. Fast forward to the New Testament. Guess what? We have the same problem. God says... Be restored and be separate in your thoughts, set apart in your thoughts, be set apart in your behaviors and If the only way we try to accomplish those things is in ourselves, we are no different than the people of israel it 's not possible what you 'll do is you 'll try and you 'll fail what you 'll do is you 'll try harder and you 'll fail what you 'll do is you 'll take your your body, which is like this this silly little plastic bottle, which is our vessel. And you'll, you'll put a great lid on it, you know, and the little cap that I put on here is like a lid, and, and it's going to prevent everything in your power to keep anything from coming into your life that's going to change your thoughts and your behavior. But the problem is, is that the, the vessel leaks, and then you're going to continue to empty yourself and empty yourself as you're keeping everything out. It's not just what we fight against, it's what we fill ourselves with. If you really want to be set apart and holy, don't try to fight this in your own strength. Yes, we need boundaries. Yes, we need guardrails in our lives. Yes, we need to have a nice tight lid on the things that the world can't pour into us. But as we continue to leak, we need to allow ourselves to be poured into as well. So that God's spirit that lives in us overflows in us. And when your Spirit, when his spirit in us overflows in us, nothing can get in because we're overflowing with the power of God. So if we want to be set apart this morning, be mindful, please, of the fact that God has never called us to be set apart because he believes that we have the strength to do it ourselves. How does it make you feel this morning to hear me say that God's calling you to something that he's not expecting you to do in your own strength? Doesn't that feel good? I am thrilled to know that he's calling me to do something that I'm not called to do in my own strength. Because if he asked me to do this in my own strength, I'm going to quit before I even start. But he made a way through his son. Where we were sin, Christ became sin for us. So that as he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness as he takes our penalty he gives us life see how this works so it doesn't mean that we don't put our feet to the to the to the ground and our nose to the grindstone and say i want god to teach me how to change my identity i want to i want to rethink and be set apart in my thoughts i want to re- rethink and be set apart in my behavior But I want to be set apart in the power of Christ, which means teach me, Jesus, as I fill myself with your word, as I fill myself with worshiping you, as I fill myself with brothers and sisters in the Lord that can encourage me, as I fill myself with just being obedient, all those things I'm going to fill myself with are filling myself with you. And you're going to be the one that renews my mind. You're going to be the one that changes my behavior. You're going to be the one that affirms in me what needs to change and will do it, not in my strength, but in Christ alone. Amen? That's how it works. This is how it works. Scripture says in Corinthians, we won't go there, but Paul said that God is faithful. He will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can what? Bear. Bear. He always provides a way out. Why? Because the one who lives in us, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than the one who lives in the world. Remember that this morning, church. That this isn't the point of holiness. The point of holiness. And that's what the New Testament church's error error was. Error was. Ananias and Sapphira walked into a situation that God was working in and they allowed sin into the situation. And God said, no. We need to understand just how significant it is that when you enter or allow sin into the situation, you begin to die. They physically died. But if we continue to allow things into our lives that are not godly, we spiritually begin to die. It doesn't mean the spirit leaves us. It means his voice in our life becomes quieter and quieter and quieter. And God says, no, stay close to me so that you can experience life, not death but don't do it in your own strength. Do it in the power of Christ because he is stronger and sin has no hold on the resurrected Jesus. If you would take a moment and just bow your heads, I just want to pray as the team sings this song that we would just respond this morning, God, to your power and your love. We would respond this morning to your truth of holiness and the reality, Lord, that we can walk in relationship with you, that we can know you, And we can walk, Lord, not because our identity or our behavior is dependent on our own strength, but because you've given us the strength in Jesus to walk a life that overcomes. You've given us the strength in Jesus Christ to think differently, to live differently, to be the light in this world. Through Christ and Christ alone, we can put our faith in, and you equip us with the strength to be who you've called us to be. So God, help us put our faith in you today again. In your name we pray.